most of us here would want to grow in our ability and our efforts of reaching the lost. The Great Commission, as we call it, uh, has somewhat become, as some preachers say, the Great Omission, and for different reasons. Wouldn't it be nice if God had just a, 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 a playbook for us? <laughs> if He just had something with specifics that was very practical. You know, sometimes when we go through certain books of the Bible, we might feel that certain portions of certain books are not very practical. We say, okay, I get that, but what does it mean to me? Maybe we need to do some more studying to find that. It may be that the nature of some books in the Bible are a little different than others. I'm very excited about a study in Titus with you because I think it could be very, very useful and practical for the church today. I think what it teaches is that in order to be effective in reaching lost people in our families and in our communities is that we have to be a healthy church. We use the word sound a lot of times because some translations use that word. Sound doctrine. The idea of sound is healthy. And only that which God has spoken is healthy. You know, the Word of God is what will give us the spiritual health that we need. Especially as it pertains for our purposes to reaching the lost in our community. Uh, I, I would like to outline the book like this. The first chapter we're going to be looking at each chapter, we'll look at two lessons for each chapter. And the first chapter, I want us to look at how uh, a healthy church, uh, to have a healthy church, you have to have a healthy leadership. And then second in chapter two, a, a healthy membership. Break that into two chapters, or two sections, rather, two sermons. And then in the last, healthy work, healthy workmanship. We're going to look at that together. But what I want us to gather from the very beginning is that evangelism and reaching people with the gospel should be what we are all about. If we are following Jesus, we will reach others. We will fish for people. If we are not fishing for people, biblically speaking, we're, we're not following Jesus. And this is something that I have had to face because you know the, the, the Word of God is a mirror and we look into it and we realize Jesus said, follow me. And I will teach you to become fishers of men, fishers of people. He didn't just mean males. He meant people. That's the idea of the word there. And if we're not fishing for people to help them come to God on a daily basis, are we truly following Jesus? Biblically speaking, we're not. You know, we may be doing certain things in our life according to God's word, but maybe this is an area we are missing or an area that we can grow in and improve. And I know that to be the case of myself. The purpose of the Christian life is to glorify God by doing the things that God says. And one of those great things that he taught us to do is to evangelize, to teach people the gospel. I think about the Great Commission. And what it taught the apostles to do was to make disciples by baptizing people into a relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to observe everything that he had taught. That's a paraphrase. And being that the case, one of the things he taught them to do was to make disciples. So if we're to observe all things that he taught them, we're to keep the Great Commission. There's some people who think we don't have to do the Great Commission. That was given to the apostles. That's exactly right it was given to them. And one of the things of that commission was to teach the people you teach to do everything I taught you. 
And that would include then making disciples of all the nations. To glorify God, we do that by loving God. I think of the greatest command. And, and we do that by loving our neighbors ourselves. And I want to get our attention this morning with this. There's nothing greater, there's no greater way we can show our love for anyone than by teaching them the gospel. No matter what the consequences are, no matter if they hate your guts, if they burn your house down, or they come over and cut your grass because they're thankful. I mean, we can serve people, we can cut their grass, we can help a, a little old sweet lady across the street, and those are doors of opportunity. But they are not the end-all, be-all. Those service acts open the door so people can learn the Word of God because it's the Word of God that's the power to save, Romans 1.16. So we need to all get on board with that. If I'm to keep the greatest command to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm to love my neighbor as myself, the most loving thing I can do for my neighbor is to teach them the gospel. And we'll look more at that as we journey along. You know, the Bible is not merely meant to be read. It's, it's to be studied and it's to be applied. Otherwise, we're just spiritually, otherwise we're just spiritually obese. You know, we may take in the Bible each week. We study during the week. But if we're not putting it into practice, we're just spiritually obese. And, you know, our purpose is to serve God and glorify Him. And we have to do it the way that He tells us to do it. People pay a lot of money to watch... Uh, athletes do the things that they do on fields, football fields, baseball fields, etc. Now take football, for example. These guys, you know, they spend all their lives preparing to play football, and they do. But if you pay good money to go to an NFL game, and all they did was stand around in a huddle, <laughs> you'd say, what in the world are they doing? I came here to see action. And that's something we need to keep in mind. You know, we come together, we huddle together, we talk together, we're to study together. All that is essential. I'm not belittling that. That's essential. But we have to break the huddle. <laughs> we have to go out we have to do the things that we talk about. The old saying, practice what we preach. We have to get it out there and give people the opportunities. On the study guide in the introduction, there are, I think, number seven at the very beginning, highlights of Titus. I won't go through all this. What this is is what I gathered as the main ideas uh, from the book of Titus. And you can study that on your own. One thing that I think we need to do as a way of introduction is just first keep in mind, if you will, look with me at Titus chapter 1, uh, verse number 5. We know from verse 1 that Paul's the writer, the apostle Paul. And verse 5 says, Paul wrote, for this reason, I, Paul, left you, Titus, verse 4, in Crete. We know from geography that Crete is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's considered a Grecian island even today. But what I want us to gather, and I gathered this in the study guide, I think under number 8 in the introduction, that it is a mountainous area. It was then and it is now. It was considered a place with tough terrain. But we are told from history that the people of that tough terrain the way they were reflected their physical terrain. They were rough people. You know, it's easy to think in evangelism that, well, it's different today. People today are mean. People today are belligerent. People today don't want the truth. There were folks like that then too. We are fooling ourselves. We're burying our head in the sand if we think that back then everybody loved Jesus. 
but, but, but now everybody hates him, and so we might as well not evangelize because, you know, America is so much worse than all the other nations. That's a deceptive idea. We're just deceiving and tricking ourselves. The people on the island of Crete were known. You just study history. I have it there in the study guide for your contemplation. They were known over the centuries as, as mariners and cunning traders. They were often hired as mercenaries to do various works. I read one source that said King David and Solomon even used them. I didn't go that far in my study. But people used them to do tough jobs. They were considered, generally speaking, mean people, hard people. And there are a number of sins among them, like among us in our society, sometimes in the church as well as in the world. Titus 1 verse 13, one of their own prophets, one of the Cretan prophets, he had said, and Paul said, this is true, that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Let me ask you on reality and practicality. Do we have any liars in the church and in America today? We do. Do we have anybody that's an evil beast? They act, they're just acting like an animal? Yeah, we do. Are there any lazy people in the church and out of the church? Yeah, there are. So this, we can connect with this letter, okay? And so on the front, I want us to see that and to get that. There are two key words at the very top of the study guide. I think there's two fill-in-the-blanks I want you to put in. The idea about having a healthy church so that we can be effective in evangelizing our community we must have a healthy, the church must have a healthy leadership. There are two words I want us to consider, and I think everything will flow from that. Choose wisely. And if you'd like to fill out your study guide, write the words choose wisely at the very top. Elders are men that must be chosen wisely, carefully. We'll look first at Paul as an example of a leader. We have no reason to think that he was an elder in the church. But bottom line, as an apostle, he did serve as an example of one who led. And we can learn from his character. Let's look at the first four verses together. And I don't know how y'all do Bible class. Do they read? Do y'all do all that? Or, or? No. Okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll be glad to read. Okay. Let's look together first at the first four verses. Paul, a bondservant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, or for the faith, if you will, of God's elect. And the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. In hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began. But has in due time manifested his word through preaching. Which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus a true son in our common faith. Grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Let's look together first, number one on the study guide, at the commitments of a healthy leader. Now this would not only help the leaders here, but it will help the whole church. This, I truly put this together with the design to help the whole church. This is not a, let's get the elders told. No, the whole church, including the elders, the members, the deacons, the husbands, the wives, the sons, the daughters, and the children, they've got to know this. I got to know this, that to have a healthy congregation, you have to have a healthy leadership. And I truly believe you guys have good eldership. You guys know much more about your eldership than I do. But just from afar, you guys have some good men, okay? This, this is not a give and tell. This is a, this is a let's, let's help those men and let's help one another and let's help the future generations. And we'll talk about that in a moment. 
Let's help one another in this matter by looking at the commitments of a healthy leader using Paul as an example. First, let's consider how Paul considered his own position, number, uh, letter A under number one. He considers himself, and this is the highlight that I want to make, he considers himself a servant, a bond servant. And that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful point for all leaders in the church. A leader in the Lord's church truly is a servant. And a servant that has a sacred trust to carry out God's work the way God tells him to do it. Truly, great leaders are what? Great servants. They are. And it's amazing. I I was blessed. I I actually, before I went to preaching school years before, I graduated from from business school. I, I, I got my bachelor's degree, whoop, whoop, you know, whoop, whoop. But I use that, I'm only bringing that in to tell you this. In college, secular college, non-Bible school, we have professors standing before us in the 400-level management classes back in the yonder when I graduated. I'm older than some of you and quite a bit younger than some of you. The teachers were telling us, you know, the management positions that, the management styles that succeed are servant leaders. And our teachers, one of them in particular, he really hammered that with us. And I found that really interesting. The dude wasn't even a member of the church. But he's using business and real world to show that, you know, Jesus, Jesus was the greatest servant leader. The greatest leaders serve and they know what needs to be done. And that was similar with Paul. He knew his responsibility and that, you know, as, as, a, as a servant, we need to, uh, as Christians and as, elders, as those that are elders, do your homework, if you will. Evangelists need to do their homework, be prepared, and that kind of thing because of the position that they have. Letter B, the purpose that is given here, the commitments of a healthy leader, their purpose. It's for, verse 1, for the sake of the elect, that's the church. Good leaders love people. You know, it wouldn't be wise to say, you know, I, I want to be an elder one day, but I just don't like people. That, I mean, that's the, wrong, that's the wrong work to be in. Elders must help you leaders. They must love people because it's about them. It's about pleasing God by serving God's people. And so they need to love people, and that would include the people outside the church. Paul did. He wrote this letter for the elect, for their sake. So they would have this information about a healthy church, etc. Letter C under commitments is the word power. The power. I can imagine, I've heard my elders express this sentiment before. I can imagine as an elder feeling the weight of such responsibility. But healthy leaders keep in mind, the forefront of their mind, that the power of their work comes from the gospel. It's not within themselves. Yeah, they have to put forth effort. But the power of the word of God, it is what moves. Verse 3, preaching. God has in the right time, due time, manifested his word through preaching. We might go ahead and add to that teaching because that's mentioned later in chapter 1 of elders. So the commitments of a godly leader are that of service, position, purpose, the love of God's people, and the power, the tool that they have. And we could talk about other things. We could talk about things such as elders working together with that power to reach 
the people in the congregation, to connect with the people in the flock of God over which they see, over which they are entrusted. There are a lot of good things we can consider about that, and I want to just throw that out there. Elders here, keep that in mind. You have one another as elders to work together. You're a team together. You're not alone. And so you have these commitments. Any, any thoughts or comments before we move forward with that? I know y'all probably do like to comment or do things. I don't know. I don't want to throw that all the way off if anybody would like to add something positive to this um, consideration here. We want those that are elders now, those that, Lord willing, one day could be, to know there are commitments and what those are. Now, we're not considering all of them. We're just looking at that in the text here. Because I think this book is like a recipe for how the church can be healthy and how we can reach it. You know, we just, we just want that. We, we want the church to grow. We, we want to see, and, and I know I'm not a regular part here, you know, but... But I want to see, even just from afar, as your brother and your friend, I want to see Harrisburg do well and grow. You know, we're a good church. Let's be a great church. We're a great church. Let's be a greater church. You know, it's always be pushing forward. Perhaps the best congregation, Thessalonica, perhaps one of the best in the Bible. And I recall multiple times Paul saying to them, I know you're doing this. Do it more. Excel, excel, excel. Never be satisfied with the status quo. And I'll talk more about that again in a moment. That all goes back to the commitments of a leader. He knows that he's a servant there to serve and to work. And that he has a purpose for the love of God's people to draw them. And again, a lot of these things will be repeated. We'll connect back in. Let's look next number two. The character of a healthy leader. The character of a healthy leader. What time? i got to stop. 9.40? Whenever you're done. (laughs) Yeah. The character of a healthy leader. The first of these things that I want us to consider is beginning with verse 5. Let's look together at verse 5 through verse 9. Verses 9. For this reason I left you, that would be Titus, in Crete, this place that was not easy to work in, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be Excuse me, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. The character of a healthy leader. The first thing I want to draw to our attention is right there in the text in verse 5. The letter was not written to a pastor, to an elder. It was written to an evangelist, Titus. And he is told, I want you to appoint, set in order, that which is lacking. The character of a healthy leader is known by a godly evangelist. Now, there are some preachers that they know this, that, and the other word, and they have ill motives, and so there's a real problem. But then there's this guy. He's got good motives, and he knows the word of God, and he works. And so it sets him apart from others, right, for God's glory. 
And so when you got a man like that, wherever it may be, here, there, and yonder, he knows and he's been given this responsibility to help appoint elders in the congregation where he is. And that's something we need to keep in mind. I think of Acts 20, 28, where Paul said that it was the Holy Spirit that made the elders at Ephesus overseers. Well, pray tell how in the world does the Holy Spirit do that? He does that through men like Titus who have the Word, who know the Word. You know, in the first century, Titus would have been directly guided by the Holy Spirit. Didn't have all the New Testament books finalized, right? And then men like myself and Brock today were not directly guided by the Holy Spirit. We're indirectly guided, right, by the, the written Word of God. Same way you guys are as well. But if you got a guy and he, he's honest, he's trustworthy, and he knows the Word of God and he's working, he's not a lazy glutton like a lot of people on the island of Crete were. He, 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 he's like the go-to guy. He's, he's the guy that's going to know. And, and, and generally speaking, the church, is, the church is paying him tens of thousands of dollars to study the Bible. And that's a, that's a sobering responsibility, isn't it? To think about, I'm going to, he and I and others, we'll stand before King Jesus for what we taught. Like, there is absolutely no room for me to get up here. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, you know. No, this ain't a show. This is the church of the living God. This is the church. God wants it to be healthy. And it will not be healthy if there's some evangelist bebopping around like it's some kind of show. Like it's about him. It is not about him. It is not about him. It is about Christ. It's about souls. <laughs> so the character of a godly leader, talking about elders, incidentally, I am not an elder. I think all of you know that. An evangelist that's godly, he knows. He knows what he knows what these things are. He knows what they mean. And he's prepared to train men to be those healthy leaders. And to have these characteristics, these spiritual benchmarks. And I'm not going to go through all of them in great detail. You can see I have them on the study guide there. But I want to say this, letter B under number two. The idea of the three words that the, 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 the scriptures use regarding this particular office. Elder, the idea originally was like older. But when you put it in the context of church leaders, it doesn't merely mean older. It doesn't merely mean that. It's the idea of spiritually older. Because we all know there's no age in there about elders. You can talk about believing children and he's a little bit older and all that. And I agree. Okay. But again, it doesn't say 45, 65. And sadly, some people just have this idea about elders. He's got to be a real old dude. So next thing you know, nobody's appointing elders till they're like 80 and then they die when they're 85. <laughs> Men could have served long before that. I don't think you're doing that here. But you just keep that in mind as you continue to go forward and you continue to encourage young men. Character of a God's leader is known by an evangelist. That doesn't mean he's over the elders. It means if he knows the word of God, he should be carefully consulted right beside the word of God. The word of God gets the bottom line. I'm not, I'm not putting an evangelist over the word of God. I would never do that. That would be stupid. But my point is, if the man knows the Bible, it's wise to listen. And then accept it if it's the word of God. Not because he said it, <laughs> but because it's the word of God. 
And so we take that into account. And you got this man. He's, he's, he's not a novice. He's spiritually mature he, as per the qualifications. He's a man that's prepared to be a bishop. The word bishop is used here in Titus 1. The idea is overseer. To oversee the affairs of the congregation. And then the word pastor is used once in Ephesians 4 of the same office. The word pastor means to feed. It's one who feeds. One who tends the flock. And this man's to be his character, letter C, above reproach. And the reason why is because people are looking. And you know, when we, when we teach our elders now that are elders, and we teach men and families and other, when we teach these kinds of things, if, if you're the kind of person, I don't want people looking at my life. I hate being in the fishbowl. Then you can't be an elder. Because <laughs> people are looking at your life. And the same concept is true of serving as an evangelist. It's the same concept. Yeah, I'm all for being respectful and not meddling. The Bible teaches that. But for this purpose, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, we, you know, to be an elder, you can't be a guy that just wants to live in solitude and private and everything's my business and I don't want people watching me and looking at me. And that, that's, that's the point of your work. So people will look at you and watch you and see God. That, that's the point of it. So... One who feeds above reproach because people are watching him. And it also says that he's a steward in verse 7. The idea is he's entrusted with this responsibility to properly administer the affairs of the local congregation. So that's what it means when he's a steward. Now, letter E on the study guide contains at least two of the qualifications. His character, integrity in the home. Key word home there on the study guide. He got integrity in home. Husband of one wife. He has faithful children not accused of these wicked lifestyles. And, and the point of this lesson is not to just deviate into all those qualifications. Except just to glorify them and, and remind us. There, there's a character. There's spiritual benchmarks. There's requirements. There's qualifications. There's qualities. Uh, letter F. Integrity in the heart. Not self-willed. Key word heart on letter F. Integrity in the heart. Not self-willed. He's a people person. He loves people. So he's not self-willed. Not about him. Not quick-tempered. Not given to wine. The idea is not at or beside wine. Uh, number four, not violent. Not greedy for money. Not, uh, but he, and on, on the contrary, he'd be a lover of strangers. Be hospitable. A lover of what is good. Uh, letter G, integrity in the head. And, and, and some of these might go in heart or head, but it just sounded good to say heart and head. <laughs> Because, you know, we, we, we think of heart like the seat of our emotions and concerns. And we think of our head as like knowledge and learning the intellect. So there is, a, there is a little difference there, right? Letter G, integrity in the head. He's sober-minded. He, he's, he's balanced, you know. He, he's not an extremist. He's balanced. He's seat. And, and, and number two, under that, he's just. That means he's upright. He does what is right. Number three, under G, he's, he's holy. He's free from wickedness. Four, he's self-controlled. Under that, he holds fast. That means he holds firm to the faithful word. Obviously, that would imply that he knows the word. And we know from 1 Timothy 3, you know, able to teach. The other set of qualifications there that mesh with these. So he knows the word. He's able to hold fast. And then he holds fast. You know, what I wanted to say there about these characteristics here that I want us to consider is elders, we, we, the word of God, the Word of God wants elders to be men who, who know what they're doing as an elder. You know, we can mean well and, and we can love Jesus in our heart in our own way so we think, you know, 
But if we don't know the work that we're supposed to do, and the same concept is true of an evangelist, if he doesn't know the charge, then he's not going to do it right. And so they have to be thoroughly acquainted with that. They need to know what they're doing. And it's important for elders to have the right attitude. You know, again, these are characteristics that are not explicitly mentioned, but just within the heart and the mind, you know, these all go together. An elder doesn't need to be all negative and grumpy guts, and this won't work, and that won't work, and I just, I don't know, and the world's crashing, and who cares? And instead, they love the gospel, and it's good news, and they know the world's full of sin. They're not, they're not, they're not ignorant, you know, but, but they, they believe in the power of the gospel, and they know their role to, to expedite God's word and get it out there, etc., Another thing about elders in this regard, too, is God does not want elders who are not doing the work of elders. And again, if you, if you look at like Acts 20, 28, which we'll go to in, in the sermon, Lord willing, this morning, the elders of Ephesus were told, take heed to yourself, pay attention to yourself and the flock. That's their main responsibility. to Pay attention to themselves, look in the mirror of God, and pay attention to the congregation. Pay attention to it, you know. Be alert to what's going on in the congregation. Know each member. And, and that's challenging. I'm, I, I know it is, and I've never done it. I know. It's, it's not hard to know. That's challenging. That takes work. <laughs> that's work. It's like evangelizing. It's like the work of an evangelist. It's like the work of Christians, teaching and preaching the Word of God. It's work. And it's the greatest work. <laughs> and that's the way we have to see it, that it's the greatest work. Number three, the coaching of future elders. I just used the word C there because it kind of went along with the C's. The coaching of future elders. There's a lot of things I'd love to say about this. The one thing I will say, unfortunately, when I was growing up, and I, I was blessed. I grew up around the Lord's Church from, from day one. Day one. I don't ever remember not being in the assembly. That, that's to God's glory, my parents' benefit. That's not, you know, it didn't have anything to do with me. And I remember growing up around the Lord's church. And this may not be the way you grew up, but it was the way I grew up. Fairly often, I would hear negative things about being an elder. One of the things I would hear often was, oh, you don't want to be an elder. It's hard, boy. That's the kind of attitude I grew up around as a young man in the church. So what do you think I'm going to think about being an elder? It's hard. It's stink. You might as well not do it. I mean, it's just so hard. You can't even, might as well not even try. Just don't be like that toward our young people. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's just work. Yeah, it's going to be hard sometimes. But, but it, ain't, it, it ain't always hard, I don't guess. I mean, you know, like sitting in the worship assembly and you're soaking in the word and singing praise. That ain't too hard. And then there's times when you see your brethren and the flock over which you serve, they're obeying God. That ain't too hard, you know. You're, you're being encouraged. You're being strengthened. It ain't, it ain't always hard. Yeah, you know, let's, we can be a little more positive than it's too hard. And I don't want to do that. There's so much stuff I have to deal with. Yeah, well, if you're going to be faithful to God, whether you're an elder or not, there's a lot of stuff you have to deal with. There, there really is. Here's the main ideas we've considered. We, we, we've seen the commitments of a healthy leader, very briefly. We've seen the character that's mentioned there. Let's close with number five. Why? Why are some of the reasons he would write these kinds of things? Like, what's the point? Well, letter A, without it, without an eldership doing the things like are given here, we as a church are not practicing truth. Key word, truth. 
which accords with godliness. And that just goes back to verse 1. That's why he wrote this. That would include, you, you put these elders in place in these congregations. You do that. Otherwise, it's letter B, destitute. And I know you've never heard Brock say that. <laughs> he probably has. The word destitute, the idea the congregation is lacking when such men are not there, when such men are not learning and growing, when such younger men are not being encouraged to learn and grow and to shape your life in a way that one day you can serve in such capacity. We do have a, a very serious problem in our, in our society with taking responsibility. I think we would all say that. We would recognize that. The Lord Church has got to be different. <laughs> we can't be like that. And we've just got to get this, that everything rises or falls with the eldership. And there's a bunch of things that could be said about that. But we're just going along with what we have here in Titus for our purposes. And we'll go in next, Lord willing, and we'll look into the next part as to why they would have these elders and some of the work that elders are to do, okay? Anybody have any comments before we close out? I hope that you'll come and you'll be with us each time because this builds. This, this all goes together. You've got healthy leadership, healthy membership, and then healthy work, healthy workmanship. <laughs> that we're to be involved in. And I can't wait to get to each of those with you. Thank you so much for your time and attention. I can see it. You're paying attention. Good to be with you.